Section 91 of Complete Original Short Stories of Guy de Maupassant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Columbus, Ohio. Section 91. My Wife. It had been a stag dinner. These men still came together once in a while without their wives, as they had done when they were bachelors. They would eat for a long time, drink for a long time. They would talk of everything, stir up those old and joyful memories which bring a smile to the lip and a tremor to the heart. One of them was saying, "'Georges, do you remember our excursion in Saint-Germain, with those two little girls from Montmartre?' "'I should say I do.' And a little detail here or there would be remembered, and all these things brought joy to the hearts. The conversation turned on marriage, and each one said with a sincere air, "'Oh, if it were to do over again!' Georges Duportan added, "'It's strange how easily one falls into it. You have fully decided never to marry, and then in the springtime you go to the country, the weather is warm, the summer is beautiful.' The fields are full of flowers. You meet a young girl at some friend's house. Crash! All is over. You return married. Pierre L'Etoile exclaimed, Correct. That is exactly my case, only there were some peculiar incidents. His friend interrupted him. As for you, you have no cause to complain. You have the most charming wife in the world. Pretty, amiable, perfect. You are undoubtedly the happiest one of us all. The other one continued, It's not my fault. How so? It is true that I have a perfect wife, but I certainly married her much against my will. Nonsense! Yes, this is the adventure. I was thirty-five, and I had no more idea of marrying than I had of hanging myself. Young girls seemed to me to be inane, and I loved pleasure. During the month of May I was invited to the wedding of my cousin, Simone d'Arabelle, in Normandy. It was a regular Normandy wedding. We sat down at the table at five o'clock in the evening, and at eleven o'clock we were still eating. I had been paired off for the occasion with a Mademoiselle Dumoulin, daughter of a retired colonel, a young, blonde, soldierly person, well-formed, frank and talkative. She took complete possession of me for the whole day, dragged me into the park, made me dance willy-nilly, bored me to death. I said to myself, that's all very well for today, but tomorrow I'll get out. That's all there is to it. Toward eleven o'clock at night, the women retired to their rooms. The men stayed, smoking while they drank or drinking while they smoked, whichever you will. Through the open window, we could see the country folks dancing. Farmers and peasant girls were jumping about in a circle, yelling at the top of their lungs a dance air, which was feebly accompanied by two violins and a clarinet. The wild song of the peasants often completely drowned the sound of the instruments, and the weak music, interrupted by the unrestrained voices, seemed to come to us in little fragments of scattered notes. Two enormous casks, surrounded by flaming torches, contained drinks for the crowd. Two men were kept busy rinsing the glasses or bowls in a bucket, and immediately holding them under the spigots, from which flowed the red stream of wine— or the golden stream of pure cider, and the parched dancers, the old ones quietly, the girls panting, came up, stretched out their arms, and grasped some receptacle, threw back their heads, and poured down their throats the drink which they preferred. On a table were bread, butter, cheese, and sausages. Each one would step up from time to time and swallow a mouthful, and under the starlit sky this healthy and violent exercise was a pleasing sight, and made one also feel like drinking from these enormous casks and eating the crisp bread and butter with a raw onion. A mad desire seized me to take part in this merry-making, and I left my companions. I must admit that I was probably a little tipsy, but I was soon entirely so. I grabbed the hand of a big, panting peasant woman, and I jumped her about until I was out of breath. Then I drank some wine and reached for another girl. In order to refresh myself afterward, I swallowed a bowl full of cider and began to bounce around as if possessed. I was very light on my feet. The boys, delighted, were watching me and trying to imitate me. The girls all wished to dance with me and jumped about heavily with the grace of cows. After each dance, I drank a glass of wine or a glass of cider, and toward two o'clock in the morning, I was so drunk I could hardly stand up. I realized my condition and tried to reach my room. Everybody was asleep, and the house was silent and dark. 
I had no matches, and everybody was in bed. As soon as I reached the vestibule, I began to feel dizzy. I had a lot of trouble finding the banister. At last, by accident, my hand came in contact with it, and I sat down on the first step of the stairs in order to try to gather my scattered wits. My room was on the second floor. It was the third door to the left. Fortunately, I had not forgotten that. Armed with this knowledge, I arose, not without difficulty, and I began to ascend step by step. In my hands, I firmly gripped the iron railing in order not to fall, and took great pains to make no noise. Only three or four times did my foot miss the steps, and I went down on my knees, but thanks to the energy of my arms and the strength of my will, I avoided falling completely. At last I reached the second floor, and I set out in my journey along the hall, feeling my way by the walls. I felt one door, I counted, one. But a sudden dizziness made me lose my hold on the wall, make a strange turn, and fall up against the other wall. I wished to turn in a straight line. The crossing was long and full of hardships. At last I reached the shore, and, prudently, I began to travel along again until I met another door. In order to be sure to make no mistake, I again counted out loud, two. I started out on my walk again. At last I found the third door. I said, three, that's my room, and I turned the knob. The door opened. Notwithstanding my befuddled state, I thought, since the door opens, this must be home. After softly closing the door, I stepped out into the darkness. I bumped against something soft, my easy chair. I immediately stretched myself out on it. In my condition, it would not have been wise to look for my bureau, my candles, my matches. It would have taken me at least two hours. It would probably have taken me that long also to undress, and even then I might not have succeeded. I gave it up. I only took my shoes off. I unbuttoned my waistcoat, which was choking me. I loosened my trousers and went to sleep. This undoubtedly lasted for a long time. I was suddenly awakened by a deep voice which was saying, "'What, you lazy girl, still in bed? It's ten o'clock.' A woman's voice answered, "'Already? I was so tired yesterday.' In bewilderment, I wondered what this dialogue meant. Where was I? What had I done? My mind was wandering, still surrounded by a heavy fog. The first voice continued, "'I'm going to raise your curtains.' I heard steps approaching me. Completely at a loss at what to do, I sat up. Then a hand was placed on my head. I started. The voice asked, "'Who is there?' I took good care not to answer. A furious grasp seized me. I, in turn, seized him, and a terrific struggle ensued. We were rolling around, knocking over the furniture and crashing against the walls. A woman's voice was shrieking, Help! Help! Servants, neighbors, frightened women crowded around us. The blinds were open and the shades drawn. I was struggling with Colonel Dumoulin. I had slept beside his daughter's bed. When we were separated, I escaped to my room, dumbfounded. I locked myself in and sat down with my feet on a chair, for my shoes had been left in the young girl's room. I heard a great noise through the whole house, doors being opened and closed, whisperings and rapid steps. After half an hour someone knocked on my door. I cried, "'Who's there?' It was my uncle, the bridegroom's father. I opened the door. He was pale and furious, and he treated me harshly. "'You have behaved like a scoundrel in my house, do you hear?' Then he added more gently, "'But you young fool, why the devil did you let yourself get caught at ten o'clock in the morning? You go to sleep like a log in that room instead of leaving immediately?' immediately after i exclaimed but uncle i assure you that nothing occurred i was drunk and got into the wrong room he shrugged his shoulders don't talk nonsense i raised my hand exclaiming i swear to you on my honor my uncle continued yes that's all right it's your duty to say that i in turn grew angry and told him the whole unfortunate occurrence he looked at me with a bewildered expression not knowing what to believe then he went out to confer with the colonel I heard that a kind of jury of the mothers had been formed, to which were submitted the different phases of the situation. He came back an hour later, sat down with the dignity of a judge, and began. 
No matter what may be the situation, I can see only one way out of it for you. It is to marry Mademoiselle Dumoulin. I bounded out of the chair, crying, Never! Never! Gravely he asked, Well, what do you expect to do? I answered simply, Why, leave as soon as my shoes are returned to me. My uncle continued, Please do not jest. The colonel has decided to blow your brains out as soon as he sees you, and you may be sure that he does not threaten idly. I spoke of a duel, and he answered, No, I tell you that I will blow his brains out. Let us now examine the question from another point of view. Either you have misbehaved yourself, and then so much the worse for you, my boy, one should not go near a young girl, or else, being drunk, as you say, you made a mistake in the room. In this case, it's even worse for you. You shouldn't get yourself into such foolish situations. Whatever you may say, the poor girl's reputation is lost, for a drunkard's excuses are never believed. The only real victim in the matter is the girl. Think it over. He went away while I cried after him. Say what you will, I'll not marry her. I stayed alone for another hour. Then my aunt came. She was crying. She used every argument. No one believed my story. They could not imagine that this young girl could have forgotten to lock her door in a house full of company. The colonel had struck her. She had been crying the whole morning. It was a terrible and unforgettable scandal. And my good aunt added, Ask for her hand, anyhow. We may perhaps find some way out of it when we are drawing up the papers. The prospect relieved me, and I agreed to write my proposal. An hour later I left for Paris. The following day I was informed that I had been accepted. Then, in three weeks, before I had been able to find any excuse, the bans were published, the announcement sent out, the contract signed, and one Monday morning I found myself in a church beside a weeping young girl after telling the magistrate that I consented to take her as my companion, for better or for worse. I had not seen her since my adventure, and I glanced at her out of the corner of my eye with a certain malevolent surprise. However, she was not ugly, far from it. I said to myself, "'There is someone who won't laugh every day.' She did not look at me once until the evening, and she did not say a single word. Toward the middle of the night I entered the bridal chamber with the full intention of letting her know my resolutions, for I was now master. I found her sitting in an armchair, fully dressed, pale with red eyes. As soon as I entered she rose and came slowly toward me, saying, "'Monsieur, I am ready to do whatever you may command. I will kill myself if you so desire.' The colonel's daughter was as pretty as she could be in this heroic role. I kissed her. It was my privilege." I soon saw that I had not got a bad bargain. I have now been married five years. I do not regret it in the least. Pierre L'Etoile was silent. His companions were laughing. One of them said, Marriage is indeed a lottery. You must never choose your numbers. The haphazard ones are best. Another added by way of conclusion, Yes, but do not forget that the god of drunkards chose for Pierre. End of section 91. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Columbus, Ohio.